You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. For our reading this morning, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the short book of Ruth in the Old Testament. A book that follows the book of Judges and takes place in the time of the Judges. And we'll read together this morning Ruth chapter 2. We will begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through the entire chapter. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabites who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty... Go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some of the roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth brought out and gave her what she had left over what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, "Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you." Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. "The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz," she said. "The Lord bless him," Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. "He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead." She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabites said, 
He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Our text this morning is the second chapter of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. And a good summary of what is going on in this chapter you can find in verse 20 of that chapter. We'll read that together. Ruth 2, chapter 20, where the word of the Lord says, The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you don't experience any kind of shame, then the Bible doesn't have very much to say to you. That's the somewhat shocking quote that I heard this past week as I was listening to a speech by a man named Ed Welch. He's a counselor with the Christian Counseling Education Foundation. He was speaking on the topic of shame, and he summarized his Look into God's word about shame with that line. If you don't experience any kind of shame, then the Bible doesn't have very much to say to you. Now, what is shame? The existentialist philosopher, not the first person we would necessarily go to for truth, but he has a good quote here about what shame is. Jean-Paul Sartre said that shame is A hemorrhage of the soul. A hemorrhage of the soul. It's a, it's a deep down pain caused by, in some way, by the circumstances of your life that profoundly affects your inner being. Affects the core of who you are. Your soul. In fact, beyond that, it affects your mind, your heart and your soul. And it can be caused by many things, this feeling of shame. It's often associated with feelings of having been taken advantage of, or of not measuring up in the eyes of others, or of being an outcast, someone who doesn't belong, someone who doesn't fit in. You're not on that inner circle. You're an outcast. Something is different about you. And so you feel shame. Well, consider the situation of Naomi as she comes back to the land of Israel. She left during a famine. Everybody else was starving along with her and her family. But they decided to leave. To not stick it out with everyone else, but to go to Moab. She spends many years in Moab. and She loses her husband and her two sons there. And then... She returns back to the land of Israel once God has returned to his people with food. Except now she comes back and she is in every way an outcast. She's a widow. She has no husband. She has no sons. The only person that's associated with Naomi is a foreigner. A Moabite, no less, who is also a widow. Not exactly the entourage That brings you a lot of friends and acceptance. Naomi comes back to the land of Israel and she has nothing. 
She had forfeited her land. They had left. She comes back to no land. She has nothing. Consider the shame that this woman would have experienced. She's an outsider among her own people with a hemorrhage on her soul. And she speaks from that hemorrhage, doesn't she? At the end of chapter 1, when she says, don't even call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, call me bitter. Because not only am I an outcast among God's people, I'm an outcast from God himself. The Almighty has made my life bitter. If you don't experience shame, and God's word doesn't have much to say to you. What will God have to say to Naomi? That's the burning question that we come to chapter two with. After we've heard those, those words, those bitter words, we've, we've, we've experienced the pain that lives inside Naomi. We understand her situation of being an outcast, of being shamed and coming back among her people. How will God speak? To Naomi. That's the burning question in our mind. How will God respond to her past unfaithfulness? To her pain? To her exclusion? And showing us how God deals with Naomi in her shame, God also teaches us how he deals with us in our shame. He reveals himself in this account. God reveals who he is, not only as he worked in the life of Naomi, but who he is as the God who does not change. Therefore, as the God who also works today. He reveals his character. He reveals his grace. Yes, he reveals his son, Jesus Christ. In this passage, so many years before his son came in the flesh, God reveals Jesus Christ at work. He's working for Naomi. He's working through the people around Naomi. And he's working his great renewing and redeeming purpose, which which encompasses Naomi, which grabs hold of her, pulls her in, and amazingly goes so much beyond Naomi as well. As we see in this account, God reaching out and pulling in all of his people through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, and the grace that he gives to us in him. And so as we continue along this journey with Naomi, now as they are settled in the land of Israel, in Bethlehem, in Judah, we see God powerfully at work restoring his child, taking away her disgrace, lavishing his grace and his favor upon her. What we see in this account is the loving and kind God showing his favor, his grace to Naomi. And we see this among the characters in this account. We see this, in fact, in Ruth. As God works through Ruth, we see God working. And we see it in Boaz as God works through Boaz. We see the grace of God at work. And we even, as we see Naomi responding to the care and the love and the kindness of those around her, we see Naomi being changed as she's able to recognize God at work in his grace and favor.
So first of all, we see the loving and kind God showing his favor to Naomi in the person of Ruth. Now, we know who Ruth is from chapter 1. She's this Moabite who expressed these beautiful words of confession. We've seen already how the Holy Spirit is at work in her. You don't confess your faith in God unless the Holy Spirit is at work in you. You do not become converted as Ruth was, as she turned from Moab, went to Israel, she turned from those gods, came to the true God. You do not convert unless the Spirit of God is at work in you, and the Spirit is at work in Ruth. He is powerfully at work in Ruth. We saw in that first chapter that Ruth does not live by the cold, hard logic that Naomi lives by as she lines up the circumstances of her life and says, God is against me. Ruth doesn't live by that cold, hard logic. She doesn't say, I was born a Moabite. I got stuck with this family of Elimelech, and now I'm stuck with Naomi. No, she doesn't live by that logic. She lives by faith. She lives by faith in God. And so she recognizes that God is at work, and she says, I'm going to be faithful to God. I am going to live by faith, the faith that God has first worked in her heart. And so as we pick up the narrative in chapter 2, we continue to be surprised and impressed by the, the Spirit of God at work in Ruth as she lives by faith. You see it first in the initiative that Ruth takes with Naomi. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. They've come back to the land of Israel, and it's during the barley harvest. But you don't harvest the barley. The barley doesn't harvest itself, rather. You have to go out and work for it. And it seems, for whatever reason, that Naomi is not going to. Maybe she's too old. Maybe she's too... doesn't have the energy. She just can't go out and do it. And so Ruth takes the initiative. She says, she had said to Naomi, I will be faithful to you. And now she acts out that faithfulness. And it's the time of the judges. It's not the safest time in the history of Israel. And yet Ruth knows what has to be done. And so, going in faith, she goes, she does it. And we also see Ruth acting in faith by going out and using the means that God had provided for her and for people like her. It's a, it's a simple yet a profound act of faith that shows her commitment to God. She is not going to find her own way, her own solution to this problem. She is going to use God's ways, the means that God provides. And what means does God provide for people like Ruth and Naomi? Well, God said, said how he would provide for them in Deuteronomy chapter 24. God had commanded the Israelites not to glean to the very edges of their fields in order to leave some available for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. That's Ruth on all three accounts. The alien, the fatherless, and the widow. God had said, if you are an alien, if you are fatherless, if you are a widow, this is where you can find food. Ruth, probably through Naomi, knows that, and so she goes out to the field to glean in the leftovers that are there. This way of providing for the poor 
This was the ministry of mercy in an agricultural society. This was the ministry of mercy. This was how you gave to the poor. You didn't take all the grain that was in your field. You left some so that those who needed it could get it. Just as God gives the deacons in the church today to carry out the ministry of mercy, so God also in those days provided a means for helping the poor, and Ruth uses those means. And there's a third way that Ruth goes out and walks and goes out in faith, and it's perhaps counterintuitive, and that is that she goes out and she works hard. She works hard. She works, it says, from the morning until the time that Boaz had come, and she continued to work even after that with only a few short rests. She goes out in faith, and she gets down to work. That's the Spirit of God at work in Ruth. She's trusting in God, but yet she knows that God is going to, is going to use her by using the gifts that He's given her. She has the health, she has the the ability to go out and work in the field, and so she does that. The posture of trusting in God is what compels the people of God to go out and work, to use their gifts and the opportunities that they have that God has provided them. And so Ruth goes out in faith. And how does God act in response to this faith? God acts in faithfulness. And this becomes clear as the narrative progresses, that as Ruth acts in faith, God is always there acting in his faithfulness. But God shows up already at the very beginning of this account in this this surprising detail that's left there. This, This beautiful little trick of narration that we see in our passage. And it comes in verse 3. You look there in your Bibles. It says that Ruth went out to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. And then it says, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out, just so happened. Hey, what are the chances that Ruth would go out and would end up in the field of Boaz? You just know that the narrator, the narrator is telling us a lot more than this is just some random act of chance. That this is just good luck on the part of Ruth. You can just imagine the narrator telling us with a gleam in their eye and a little smile, the corner of their lips. Things don't happen by chance. Things don't just turn out. You don't just end up in the field of Boaz who happens to be the kins and redeemer. No, this is God acting in his faithfulness to Ruth. This is God directing all things in this world and also directing Ruth to the right field. And so it's a simple storytelling device that reminds us of the reality that God is in control and with his people. When you go out and act in faith, God is with you. God is with you. Ruth acknowledges that God is with her and she lives out the reality that God is in control of all things when she just goes out to find a field of someone in in whose eyes she can find favor and God directs her to the field of Boaz so that she can provide food for herself and 
for her mother-in-law. So Ruth acts in faith and God is, is with her. And in all this, as we take one step back, God is using Ruth's trusting and faithful actions, not only for Ruth, but also for Naomi. So he said, for whatever reason, Naomi couldn't or wouldn't go out and, and gather some grain for herself. And so Ruth becomes a conduit of grace for Naomi. Ruth goes out trusting in God. God blesses her and through her blesses Naomi and provides her with food. And even beyond providing Naomi food, as we see this account move on, God's restoring not only Naomi's stomach, but God is restoring her soul. God is going to work on Naomi's soul through Ruth. He's using this faith-filled Moabite to effect change in that bitter heart of Naomi. He's using one outcast to show his love and kindness to another. He's using one outcast to show his love and kindness to another. One outcast to show his love and kindness to another. The beginning I said that Jesus Christ is obviously present in this account. But the Spirit of Jesus Christ is powerfully at work here. Do you see Jesus Christ at work when God uses one outcast to show his love and kindness to another? Wasn't our Lord Jesus Christ himself an outcast? Do you think the Lord Jesus Christ knew this feeling of shame? Of being cast out, of not belonging with the rest? Wasn't our Lord Jesus Christ covered in shame and humiliation as he went to the cross? Wasn't disgrace and rejection his life? He was the crucified. He is the crucified Savior. He was crucified. He was hung on a cross in shame. No one would stand with him. Everyone left him to stand at a distance. God used that one outcast to show his love and kindness to others. As that one outcast came, and he came to show love and kindness to whom? To the outcasts. He healed the lame, and the blind, and the sick, and the poor. The people who didn't fit in. The people who had physical things that made them rejected, caused them to be rejected by society. He spent time with women, prostitutes, no less. His disciples were all fishermen. Tax collectors, common people. Jesus Christ came and spent his time with sinners. Jesus Christ, the outcast, showed the love and kindness of God to outcasts. That's our Savior. And as we see Ruth Acting in faith in this passage, we see the spirit of our Savior at work in her as she, the outcast, becomes this conduit of God's love and grace. God shows his love, his grace, his favor to Naomi. The same love and favor that God shows to all of us when we recognize our poverty and need.
And so God works through, through Ruth as she moves forward in faith. God also works in the faithfulness of Boaz. The Lord is with Ruth as she goes out to glean. And you see that in the very next verse in in verse 4, when the Lord appears on the scene in our narrative. The Lord bursts onto the scene from the lips of Boaz and his workers. Boaz comes from Bethlehem and greets the harvesters. The Lord be with you. And they respond back, the Lord bless you. In the, in the narrative so far, this is a beautiful verse because finally people are using the name of God right. Finally people are living in the joy of their salvation. An Israelite is saying, the Lord be with you. When Boaz strides confidently into the lives of Ruth and Naomi, Boaz brings the Lord with him. The name of the Lord is on his lips from the beginning. And the Lord's character also shines through this man, this man Boaz. Ruth goes out in faith. She's looking to find favor in the eyes of someone. And who should she find favor in the eyes of but Boaz? It would not be a stretch, too much of a stretch, that to say that when Boaz shows up in that field with the harvesters, The Lord Jesus Christ shows up in that field. Is it not the character of Jesus Christ that is on display in Boaz? Is not Jesus and the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ clearly seen even centuries before Jesus Christ would appear in the flesh, on this earth. You see the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ living in Boaz in in several ways as this narrative progresses. First, you see it in his language, as the language on Boaz's lips is so refreshing and godly. First thing he says, the Lord be with you. That's what our Lord is constantly saying to us in his word. We considered that in chapter 1 already. The Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus Christ is constantly in his word saying, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. Boaz takes these words on his lips. And Boaz, in every way that he speaks, is godly. He's tender with Boaz, uh, with Ruth. He's affirming to Ruth. And as he speaks, he directs Ruth's attention away from himself and to the Lord. He says, I'll look after you. But it's the Lord who ultimately is looking after you. You can, here, stay among my people in the fields, but as you're doing so, you're taking refuge under the wings of God himself. Boaz, by his language, showing the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. And second, we see it in his compassion for the plight of Ruth and Naomi. Boaz says that he's heard about their situation, that they left Moab, that they've come to Israel, that they have nothing. And he's sympathetic and compassionate. He recognizes that they are outcasts and he doesn't turn away from them. No, he comes near to them. He himself is with them. And third, you see it in the in the protection that he offers to Ruth. He understands the vulnerabilities of Ruth's position. 
It's very clear when he says, I told my men not to touch you. That means not to physically hurt you. But it probably means more than that as well. Not to take advantage of you. I've told my men not to take advantage of you, the defenseless widow. Boaz is going to protect her. He offers her his care. He doesn't take advantage of her. He surrounds her with protection. And fourth, Boaz provides for Ruth. His confession and his care, he comes to her, he says nice words, but he doesn't just leave it at that. He makes sure that Ruth is fed. In fact, he lavishes food on her in this kind of humorous account. He goes to his men after and he says, okay, well, when let Ruth gather among the sheaves. Don't tell her to go away. In fact, as you're gathering, just take some grain out of the sheaves so that she can gather even more. He's so concerned for this widow, this foreigner, this outcast. And he's concerned that she would be fed. He cares for her. Don't you see the spirit of Jesus Christ in this man Boaz? Aren't our Lord's lips full of praise to God and blessings to his people? The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. The Lord gives his blessings to those who are bowed down. He's always showing those around him the power and the love of God as he speaks. And the Lord is also compassionate to those who experience shame and difficulties. He doesn't, he doesn't turn his eyes from them. No, they're the very ones for whom he has come, as he showed in his ministry on this earth. The Gospels are full of our Lord spending time with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, people who are unclean. He touches lepers. He heals the blind and lame. He searches out the outcasts. He searches out those who experience shame and he comes near them. He spends time with them. He's with them. He cares for them. And our Lord is also passionately protective of his people. Passionately protective of his people. He surrounds us with his love and care. He went to the cross to, to guarantee our security. So that nothing could come against us and separate us from the love of God. When Jesus Christ brings us near, he makes us safe in his arms. He extends his wings over us. As he says to the people of Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you under my wing and to protect you. He protects us from sin. He protects us from this world. He protects us from Satan. He even protects us from ourselves. He's passionately protective of his people. And fourth, our Lord has concern not only for our soul, that we would feel secure, that we would feel blessed, but he has concern for our bodies and he feeds us. Again, look at the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Teaching, preaching, and feeding teaching of the kingdom of God and showing the kingdom of God as he filled the stomachs of God's people. And so Boaz comes onto the scene and the spirit of Jesus Christ is powerfully at work in him. And so as Boaz works, he blesses Ruth and Naomi. 
Boaz becomes this conduit through whom Jesus Christ works. And brothers and sisters, let's say especially brothers, do you know that this is how Jesus continues to work today? Do you know that the spirit of Jesus is alive and well and working today? That Jesus would work through you also to be a conduit of his grace to those who are outcasts, to those who are rejected, to those who experience shame. He does it through Boaz because that's how he works by his spirit. And he also does it through us. Brothers, I speak directly to you this morning and ask, are you a conduit of God's grace? Is the spirit of Jesus working through you to be a blessing to others? How does your language look? Does it in any way resemble the language of Boaz here and the language, therefore, also of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is your language full of blessings? Is the Lord on your lips constantly because he is near in your heart? Do you seek to use your language to be a blessing to others? Are you tender and compassionate and affectionate as you speak? That's how the spirit of Jesus Christ works from our lips. And brothers, are we compassionate with those who are downcast? Or do we turn our eyes from them? Because they make us feel uncomfortable. Is the spirit of Jesus at work in us as we not, don't, not only don't turn from them, but we go to those who experience shame, who are outcast, who feel rejection, who feel isolated, who are vulnerable? Are they the ones that have our particular concern? Because they have the particular concern of our Lord. Brothers, are we protective of those who are vulnerable? Are we protective of those who are vulnerable? It's sad, it's tragic, that in our world it's especially men who don't protect those who are vulnerable but men who are infamous for taking advantage of those who are vulnerable. It's the world that we live in. This is the, this is the character that we have as men. And you know what? That's shameful. People that are vulnerable deserve our protection. Our Lord Jesus Christ searches out those who are shamed and he protects them. And brothers, that's our calling as well, specifically as men, to protect those who are vulnerable, to not take advantage of them, but to surround them with care and to look after them in every way. When we do that, the spirit of Jesus Christ is working through us. And do we provide help, real tangible help, to those who are in need. It's like Boaz made sure that Ruth was fed. Is this how we act as well? I know that the women in our congregation are very good at, at filling the stomachs of those who are in need. And, and as men, in many ways, we can, we can support that. But brothers, we need to be conscious and deliberate about this as well. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is going to work through us. Today, you have the opportunity to support the ministry of mercy. Is it a part of your thoughts? Is your, is your mind and your heart on it? 
Have you come here today to worship God by giving to those who are poor? You're sitting here now. You've made your plans. And so the question comes to you. Where is your heart at? How deliberate are you in caring for those who are in need? In caring for those who are poor in real and tangible ways by opening up your wallet and giving your money? And so, brothers, we have a calling to take stock. And beyond that, we have a calling to work according to the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God shows us how we are to act. He shows us our Savior and says, I'm renewing you to become like Him. So, brothers, let's become like Him. Let's see Him at work. Let's act in His way. And let's be powerful conduits of God's grace to this world. Ruth goes out trusting in God, looking for someone to find favor. And who should show up but Jesus Christ himself in the person of Boaz? When we show up, brothers, acting in integrity and mercy and compassion, the Lord Jesus Christ shows up as well. And he shows up for the blessing of others. And we see that finally in the faith-filledness of Naomi. The generosity of Boaz in the amount of grain that Ruth gleaned is almost preposterous. She gleans an ephah. That's 30 liters of barley in one day's work. It's incredible. And so when Ruth comes back to Naomi with this food and also the leftovers that she had during that meal that she shared with Boaz, Naomi is is immediately and obviously excited. She says, where did you glean? Whose eyes did you find favor in? Where did you work? Ruth went out looking for favor and she found it in abundance. Who has done this? And then comes the special moment in this book. The moment when for the first time Naomi gets it right. She gets it. She nails it right on the head in chapter 2. When after asking those questions... She says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then in verse 20, she says, the Lord bless him. The Lord bless him. Ruth has taken the name of the Lord on her lips. Boaz has taken the name of the Lord on his, on his lips. And now Ruth, in this beautiful blessing way, takes the name of the Lord on her lips. The Lord bless him. The Lord bless that man. They're like, they're like beautiful, a beautiful song coming out of a, a broken piano. You can imagine someone trashing this piano at the front and you would try to play it. It would sound horrible. It would sound all wrong. It'd still be a piano, but it wouldn't sound right. But then the master craftsman goes to work and he starts to restore it. And then you start to press those keys and they sound just right. That's the noise coming out of Naomi now. It sounds just right. The Lord bless him. Through Ruth, through Boaz, God is going to work on the heart of Naomi. God is restoring Naomi. But yet God's purposes here are even greater. This this surprise that comes, God is not only going to work on Naomi... Boaz is not just a nice man, he is 
the right man. As she says, he is our kinsman redeemer. Yeah, Naomi has found food for now, but she doesn't have land. Her future is still uncertain. She has no security for tomorrow. The situation for her, therefore, is very uncertain. But now certainty himself has come into the scene. And Naomi's restored fortunes rest with him. Here is Boaz, our kinsman redeemer. He can secure our future not only, he can secure us not only for today, but also for forever. And the rest of the narrative will show how this redemption is going to be carried out. And how Naomi is going to continue to be restored. And not only from her, her, her stomach and her soul, but also her people. As God's purposes, as He works through Ruth, through Boaz, become clear, we see that God's purposes extend even beyond Naomi. That God is restoring Naomi and He's restoring at the same time His people. Because when Boaz burst onto the scene with the spirit of Jesus Christ at work in him, we see that he is the kinsman redeemer in the line of Jesus Christ himself. Boaz stands in for Jesus Christ, the kinsman redeemer who restores our fortunes, not only today, but also forever. This is how Jesus Christ works. He restores the lives of his people. But that happens within his grand overarching purposes as he's moving forward the great plan of redemption. We see that here as Boaz comes onto the scene, the grandfather of Jesus. And so Naomi was shamed and disgraced. But someone has looked favorably upon her. Someone has lavished his gifts upon her. Someone has shown her grace and taken away her shame. Someone has spread his wings and provided a place of protection. Someone has provided a redeemer. Who is it that looks so tenderly upon a woman In her shame. Who is it that looks so tenderly upon those who are outcasts? Who is it that can work so powerfully in his grace to those with broken pasts and disgraceful presents and uncertain futures? Brothers and sisters, it's the loving and kind God. It is our loving and kind God who has secured our redemption through Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.